Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com. And we are the children of the 80s. Children of the 80s are back with another review of one of our childhood favorites. I'm Patrick. I'm Chad. I'm Chris. G'day, I'm Shane. And this week we're reviewing 1981's Halloween 2 as part of our uh, Scary Film Fest for October. But before we get into that review, first a word from our sponsor. This movie is brought to you by Nurse Academy. Just like Police Academy and Vice Academy, Nurse Academy is an elite training institution where individuals learn disciplines of their craft to assist the medically or mentally challenged. Nurse Academy has recently updated all courses and curriculums. For a tight period of crammed study and practical learning, all students will be certified nurses in only three months. (laughs) Not only will nurses learn the ways of good medical care, the correct uses of needles, and how to make a bed to perfection. All our young nurses will be advised in going that extra mile to keep a smile on the patient's face. How to be comfortable going down on that young jock, making advances to you from the minute he went in. The mature age patient that has gout. At Nurse Academy, you will learn how to get their juices flowing again under the sheets. And we even cater for the senior citizen patients who flirt but are never able to act out their despicable thoughts. Nurse Academy will give sexual favours to the elderly so they can go back to the retirement village with a spring in their step. Join now and we will throw in not one but two hot nurse uniforms, one in pink and one in eggshell white, a stethoscope and a pocket watch. Call now. Nurse Academy wants you. (laughs) I love it when Shane gets dirty. (laughs) I came up with that in about five minutes. Uh, Don't ever make those kind of admissions. Come on. All right, I got the summary this month. In the spirit of such 80 sequels as The Sting 2, Grease 2, Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, and Fletch Lives, John Carpenter continues the tradition of following a goddamn American classic with a meaningless money grab disguised as a film sequel. Halloween 2, once again, has the showdown between The Shape, Michael Myers, and the body, Jamie Lee Curtis. The difference in this Wait, film, I thought Donald Pleasance was the body. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, okay. My bad. I, I shot him six times. Yeah, no, sh- seven in this film. But all right. <laughs> the difference in this film is it doesn't take place on Halloween. It takes place on November 1st. The film picks up where the last film left off, with Dr. Loomis putting six in the center mass of Michael and knocking him off a two-story bal- balcony. However, this is a sequel, so they have to up the ante. In the beginning of this film, Loomis fires seven shots from his six-shooter. When Loomis goes to check on Michael's body, the shape is gone. Meanwhile, Laurie Strode, played by Curtis, is taken to the Haddonfield Memorial Hospital to be treated for her injuries. Haddonfield is the healthiest place in America because it appears that there is no other patients in the hospital, and they only need a skeleton crew to take care of their patient. While Laurie is being treated... Loomis continues his obsessive quest to find Michael. After scaring one unfortunate teenager into oncoming traffic, Loomis is left by himself to conduct the search since the police department is as as busy as the hospitals. To fill up the mandatory 90 minutes for the film, Carpenter, with the assistance of Budweiser, creates a plot line of a potential romance (laughs) for Lori with Jimmy, one of the EMTs who brings her into the hospital. But this is an 80s slasher film, so you know that Jimmy's not going to make it out of the film unharmed. Eventually, Michael learns that Lori is at the hospital via the radio, because there's no such thing as HIPAA in 1981. Once Michael arrives at the hospital, he starts killing off the five or six people on staff at the hospital. Meanwhile, Loomis is rounded up by the U.S. Marshals, as he has been ordered back to the mental hospital by the governor. En route to the hospital, Loomis and the audience is informed that Lori is Michael's sister for the first time. 
Loomis now knows where Michael is going, just as the audience has known for the entire film, to find and kill Lori. Loomis makes the U.S. Marshal take him back to Haddonfield at gunpoint. At the hospital, Michael has finished dispatching the entire hospital staff and is chasing an injured and somewhat helpless Lori throughout the hospital when Loomis, the mental hospital nurse, and the U.S. Marshal arrive. The Marshal shoots Michael in the chest, but Michael gets up from that and kills the Marshal. The mental hospital nurse goes to call for help while Loomis and Lori try to hide from Michael. Eventually, Michael traps them in the surgical room. Lori is able to stab Michael in both eyes, blinding him, something that I wish someone would have done for me in the first 15 minutes of this film. Uh, Loomis fills the room with ether and oxygen and orders Lori out of the room. Once Lori is clear, Loomis lights the gas and blows himself and Michael right past Halloween 3 and straight into Halloween 4. In the end... Lori's put into another ambulance, sans Jimmy, and left to be haunted by images of Michael's burning body. Ultimately, this is all meaningless since Carpenter and Curtis have decided to retcon this entire film out of existence with their new Halloween film coming to a theater near you next week. And that is Halloween 2. <laughs> right. I like how you brought up uh, the, the sequels. <laughs> that was good. Well, I still to this day, I don't understand why they just skipped the entire theme of the film for the third film and just slapped Halloween onto it. All right. Halloween 2, released on October 30th, 1981, the same day as nothing else, uh, the same <laughs> month as Paternity, Silence of the North, Time Bandits, and Chris's favorite film, All the Marbles. Uh, grossed over 25. You like that one, huh, Chris? <laughs> No, I like me, Time man. Bandits, too. <laughs> I know you That's like that. me, man. All the marbles is a wrestling movie. Yeah, I know. Uh, gross <laughs> over $25 million. Uh, 30th highest grossing film of 1981. Right behind The French Lieutenant's Woman, Private Lessons, and Modern Problems. And right in front of Only When I Laugh, Escape from New York, and Body Heat. It was actually the sixth highest grossing film of the Halloween series. And as always, Shane's favorite category, Rotten Tomatoes, has it at 31% critics and 63% audience. So that is the numbers on Halloween 2. All right. Did you guys see this in the theater? And I would be very surprised if any of us saw this in the theater in 1981. We would be way too young. But uh, Chad, in the theater or came to it much later? Yeah, came to it much later. Um, I'm sure I remember the original one being on TV, HBO, something back in the day. But as for part two, I just knew it existed. And then I probably didn't watch it till I was probably 12 or 13 when I was getting into my horror movie phase. And I was watching every horror movie made at the time. And yeah, I rented it during a binge watching of all the Halloween movies. I think I watched the original. I watched two and... Yes, even part three on one weekend, and that's my first experience with it. I always loved the Michael Myers character, the Sam Loomis character, and I was happy to see that they continued on. Um, now, all these years later, I wish they would have just stopped it, number one. <laughs> well, we could talk about Peter Falk and all the marbles if you if you want, Chad. Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. okay. Right. Um, I've never heard of that marble movie. Uh, it's a wrestling film and Peter Fox in it. That's all I remember. In Hot Women. Yeah. Hot Women, yes. I didn't see it in the theater. I did see it in the 80s uh, after I saw the original Halloween and remember being disappointed by this one. But I, this was not one that I sought out until after I saw the first one. Yeah, I never saw it at the cinema. And this one was the first Halloween movie I saw. I would have seen it on VHS. I remember the cover distinctly, and it was one of those real big clamshell boxes. But it would have been early 80s, maybe a couple of years after it was released in the theatres, and it was released down under in 1982. Yeah, so that was the first time I saw it, and I always liked horror. I liked it. I, I remember liking it at the time, uh, but uh, never saw it at the cinema. Yeah, I didn't catch it in the cinema, and like my brother from Another Mother, I saw this one first as well, and uh, liked it enough to go back and watch the first Halloween, which I mm. really, really enjoyed as well. But uh, I caught this on... Even like, though the second one spoiled it for you. Yeah, well, 
I mean, uh, yeah, but <laughs> it's, I kind of know where it's going. Wait, is she going to get out? I just don't know. Um, but I caught it on like WGN, so I even saw an edited version. Not that there's, I mean, there's some stuff that needed to come out, but it's still pretty clean for uh, the uh, for the compared to the modern era now, which you could get away with on television. But I I really liked it when I saw it. Uh, I did not see Halloween three until the 2000s because i've always heard it sucked and then at some point it came on and i just watched it to to see it and <laughs> it, and it, it really did suck but uh, <laughs> uh, i didn't catch a halloween film in the theaters until halloween 4 and then i think i saw everyone with the exception of the rob zombie films in the theaters after that uh what about jamie lee curtis who's given essentially top billing in this film but is only in it for 25 minutes and most of the time she's laying in a hospital bed doing nothing what did you guys think of her in this film so she's either doing nothing or she was acting as a complete opposite to the first film being this tragically afraid to the point of their uh, that she's crippled so um honestly in this one they could have just left her out as far as i'm concerned if they're going complete gore and slasher just take her out you know the real antagonist of this film was sam loomis so uh she really wasn't needed Uh, i'm glad that she didn't get taken out because one she's jamie lee curtis and i think she's just spectacular and significant anyway but this and i didn't realize until watching it again uh because it's been a while since i'd seen it that this was the one where they introduced that she's the sister of Michael Myers. I was never aware of when that was actually told. So I'm glad she's in it, although the wig that she's got on doesn't <laughs> look very nice, I've got to say. And you can actually tell it's a wig if you look close close enough. So it's pretty bad from the makeup department there. Mike uh, Myers was wearing a wig too. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think she's pretty good and not given enough to do. I would would assume that she only did this for the money and John Carpenter might have said, hey, I'm writing this thing. Can you just be in it as well? Uh, she was fine for what she was, little she was given to do, but I agree with uh, uh, both uh, Chris and Shane said, one, she didn't even need to be in this movie. It was almost pointless. And uh, two, uh, that wig was horrible. But, hey, that's all I have to say about her because she really doesn't do But Oh, I have one more thing to say. Yeah, she's the best shot in the history of cinema to hit somebody, <laughs> spoiler alert, in both eyes with two bullets all, like, immediately. She's great. She should teach storm, yeah, stormtroopers how to shoot. Well, how else are you going to get those tears of blood for Michael? <laughs> that was a good day. He was good. crying from his sister. <laughs> That's right. I forgot he she shot him. I put the he stabbed him, but it's a, he actually shot no. him in the film. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to stab my own eyes out. The thing about her in this movie, I will always remember is the fact she had two shots, both eyes perfectly dead on without even a practice shot. Yeah. So what you're saying is she only had one job. Yes. And that yeah. was about it. She did it well, though. And every other time he gets shot in the film, which is quite a bit, he always gets knocked down. But two shots to the head, and he keeps standing and keeps coming at her. So, uh, yeah, no, I, she shoots like a girl. It, yeah. it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is obviously a money grab for Jamie Lee Curtis. This is the last of the horror films that she does until. I think she comes back to the Halloween series in the late nineties. She, she had become known for a scream queen. She had done Halloween and the fog and prom night. Prom night. Oh, I think terror train. I think she was on that one in that one as well. And so this was, I think this was like her fifth or sixth hall, you know, like horror film um, that she did. And, and so this, she decidedly decided to take a break. John Carpenter even said that he didn't want to make it. He wanted to leave it alone. At with one, but Universal offered offered him so much money that he thought he could uh, make some money back from the first one film because he took such a pay cut, or he, he made so little money from a film that made so much that he uh, he was trying to recoup it, but really had no ideas for the film and drank a lot of beer and wrote a screenplay that obviously looks like he drank a lot of beer. So uh, to complete it, but Shane brought up a, a point there. 
the brother and sister story element of Lori and Michael. I always remember that. And every time I watch the first Halloween film, I always remember thinking that's in the first one. And that's why he's obsessing about her and following her around. And it's, and it's not, uh, it's in the second film. So, uh, what did you guys think of that? Is it, re- is it even necessary for this plot line? It's probably not necessary, no. And it probably wasn't given much thought when John Carpenter wrote it. But, you know, um, it it seemed to stick. So I'm glad he did it because, I mean, that's why we've had the whole scenario of the sequels and now this reboot. And I just, I don't think it would have been thought of as a key point, but it's turned out to be one. I, I had to go back when I was watching this again and see which came first, this movie or The Empire Strikes Back, because those are the two movies to me that sort of changed how movies are written in terms of you must have a family member related to a protagonist related to an antagonist somehow when you're writing movies from the early 80s on because of these two movies. And I see that Empire was first, so Halloween 2 was not the original. But <laughs> To me, in his when I look at this in history, it's I don't mind it, but it er- kills off the originality of the original movie and how great it was that he just was a force just killing babysitters or young girls or whatever for no reason. And this one, you try to throw this in as a plot point that I really don't think sticks in the grand scheme of things people remember it and they like shane said they carry it out through all the sequels and base all the sequels off of it but does it really have to be there no i don't think it does i think you could have found any any reason for them to be connected but this whole she was adopted storyline sucks to me and it tarnishes the lineage like i said of the original movie and all the future movies because of it well i'm just going to add to what chad said i mean the thing that i find weird is if it's the anniversary of mike myers doing this from 15 years earlier and what was her family's name uh strode laurie strode's family yeah if if her parents her adopted parents at this point hear that there's some guy killing on Halloween night, you think they might show up, you know, they're, they're just, they're barely even a footnote in this film. We can't find them. Well, did Mike Myers kill them off somewhere? There's, there's not even a mention of if they're dead alive or what. So that's what annoys me about this. If, um, if they truly were the adopted, uh, parents of a killer, and you would think that maybe the hospital would let them know, Hey, uh, the guy that killed your adopted uh, daughter's family is on the loose. Keep an eye out on her. There's nothing remotely mentioned about that. So I find it poorly, poorly done. <laughs> All right. Uh, what about? <laughs> <laughs> I agree, Chris. I've, I've never heard Michael Myers been called Mike Myers before. I keep thinking of Austin Powers. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Well, we know him. we're a little more familiar with him here, so we we don't do the formal names. <laughs> little Mikey Myers from around the corner. Yeah, he's a quirky kid, so. always getting into trouble, wearing masks. His mom's lingerie. But you've got, got, you've, you've got a point. You've got a point, Chris. This is just a chop schlocky, cut it together uh, slasher, and this is almost like a prototype of one of the early prototypes of all the cliches that go ahead with. Um, slasher movies including the dim lights and no one around and what you're saying you know just conveniences to the storyline so what you say is exactly right where are the parents well well i mean it's it's kind of like this film to me couldn't choose what it wanted to be the first halloween film uh, and and it's weird because we've uh, off the air we've talked to bobby on multiple occasions who's never seen the first halloween film and I've told him how good it is because it's in my top 100 and that it is not a slasher film, although it started those slasher films. It is more in the, in the vein of Psycho. It's a suspense film. And this film seems to walk this line where sometimes it tiptoes towards suspense and then sometimes it tiptoes back towards slasher film because by, by 1981, we have Friday the 13th parts one and two have been released and you're starting to get all the other holiday 
horror films that are coming out and it's becoming it's it's the fad and I, I loved how I read about how the director wanted to make something like the original film and John Carpenter, the director of the original film, was adding all this extra gore, uh, the nudity into it, uh, all this stuff to make it more, I, I guess, marketable. Uh, you know, what, but does it work? I mean, it doesn't seem to be completely suspenseful. It does not seem to be anywhere near the slasher films of like Friday the 13th are at this point in time. Yeah, I, I, oh man, this one's just so hard to analyze because, like you said, John Carpenter went back to add more dead bodies and to more gore and the nudity. But when you start analyzing it, I believe there were three on-screen deaths in the original Halloween, and then I believe there were ten in this movie if you count Michael and Sam, who, at least in my opinion, should have just died in this movie. And then if you look at the nudity, you see only two boobs, if I remember correct, in the original movie with PJ Souls. Yeah. And then well, they always come in pairs. Yeah, well, they yeah, do. Exactly. They usually, but they're not good boobs. They're really not. Okay, that that's true. But in this <laughs> movie, they're very nice boobs, by the way, uh, with the nurse. But I but what was the gore that they really added? I mean, there's some extra blood from the lady getting the, or the nurse having the blood come out of her veins and hit on the floor. Um, the nurse getting scalded. I mean, I don't really see that much of a difference in the grand scheme of it, but yet I agree with what the premise was that, yes, we had to keep adding something to fall in line with what Hollywood's doing with all these other slasher films. Because like you said, all these other sequels are making it gorier and more blood and how are they killing people with the claw of a hammer and this and this and this and Needles going to the temple, I guess. Yeah, I can see the premise that they're trying to make it more Hollywood horror. But I once I analyzed it on this re-showing, I just didn't see it as being that different from the original. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think the, the year before he wrote and released uh, The Fog, which was also with uh -huh. Jamie Lee Curtis. Actually, there's some some pretty well-known stars in that. I, and I'm trying to remember, was that more suspense-oriented or was that more slasher? It's been so long. That, was, that was very much suspense because I don't remember there being hardly any gore in that movie whatsoever. So he, trans, he, he basically went from Halloween in the fog – and then in 81, he released uh, Escape from New York and mm -hmm. and Halloween 2. Escape from New York, New York is much better. But you are getting into the more action, um, blood and guts, more different transition into styles. So yeah, and by I the think next it's just year, his mindset. Yeah, by the next year, he's doing The Thing, which is probably one of the goriest oh. films of the 80s. Yes. An excellent film, though. It's a good film, but it's, I mean, it's... That film gave me nightmares uh, as a young adult. So, was it because of the poor um, stop animation <laughs> gore, or was it just because it was gore? Yeah, well, just some of the bizarre gore that you saw—the the, the mm -hmm. twisting of the dogs, yeah, the morphing bodies. It was just—I mean, it's it's disturbing to see. That was the movie that made John Carpenter quit the studio system and just start being more independent because they screwed him around on it, and it wasn't a big hit. And E.T. came out at the same time, so there was one nice alien, one bad alien. But, but just go back to the gore with the Halloween 2. You're right. It's Chris mentioned it, I think. It it's his, was his mindset. Plus, he didn't really want to do it. Plus, Patrick said at the beginning he was drinking Budweiser's, so he's thinking beers. Uh, but that – I love the – I actually love some of this gore. I, I, I have no idea why there's a hot tub or a jacuzzi in a hospital. Can you answer that? But Physical I therapy. Oh, okay. I thought it might Physical therapy, and you needed to make soup sometime in large quantities. <laughs> as long as it's got a drain for the toenails. Um, <laughs> and no, why was her face fucked up, but his hands were not? Thank you. Because he's superhuman. He's, he's evil. Don't remember what Sam Loomis said. I think the blood-soaked floor scene was actually pretty good. And the way it was filmed and the other, the scene where we've already talked about the blood coming out of his eyes, Michael Myers. I just thought those two were needed and worked. But overall, 
it was a little bit excessive. And like I said, it's like a prototype to the slashes that came after it. And what then if, that guy slipped in the blood, and there was no uh, slip marks or anything in the blood when he had a shot overhead. But <laughs> well, until that moment, I thought it was a very well-filmed okay. scene. Uh, and you never really know what happens to poor old Jimmy. I mean, you don't. He, he's, oh. he, he seems stunned, but did he die? I mean, I guess there's a deleted scene that says he lives, and he's in the back of the ambulance with Lori at the end. Oh. But he was going to protect her, which didn't even come to fruition. He was. <laughs> no, he did. He fell asleep. You know, on, he hit the horn. He went off and um, he went off and projected the the earth instead as the last stop. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He did. There's then he fought a, sharks in Jaws Revenge. Oh, <laughs> that's right. He was too. Uh, all right. What about the hospital setting? Uh, how did, did I mean? This is the same year or around the same time. I remember, and I don't know who's going to remember this one, but I remember it because William Shatner was in it. A film called Visiting, Visiting Hours. Hours. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's it seemed like uh, it was that uh, that must have come out because I know that came out after. Wrath of Khan, so it's got to be around 1982, so it's got to be like the year after yeah. this, correct? So, yeah, I think it was like 83 or something like that The Visiting Hours came out shortly after this movie did. Yeah, and um, 1982, according to 82. IMDb. Okay. So, yeah. And what do you think of the hospital sequence? And more importantly, what about this hospital, which there seems to be nobody at, nobody's working. I mean, it's, it's and everybody keeps the lights off for some reason. <laughs> I couldn't have hated it more, honestly. <laughs> so you've got babies just lying there that were born. There's there's only one lady who shows up late to take care of them, and she's banging some guy uh, in a hot tub who's the biggest prick ever. Yeah, everything's dark. There's nobody there other than the woman who brings her little boy in at the beginning of the film. Uh, there's nobody. There's nobody coming in. I mean, I understand it's a small town, but there was just nothing realistic about this hospital, I would think that they would have some sort of um, backup system for phones. I would think they would have more than one security guard. I would think there would be a lot different about this uh, this hospital. I mean, the Joker could just walk in and blow up the whole thing at any point. <laughs> well, he probably wouldn't even try because it's not difficult. <laughs> no, no, it was not. Yeah, I agree with Chris on this one. Uh, waste of time. I mean, typical Dino De Laurentiis production where he's cutting budget with by no, no lights, no extras. They did miss an opportunity with that baby scene. You can imagine if Michael Myers walked past it and stopped, all of a sudden the audience would be like, oh, shit, what's he going to do? But nothing even remotely close to suspenseful like that happened. And, yeah, as for the guy in the... Uh, the asshole in the um, boiling water. I'm glad he he bailed. I don't like him at all. Leo Rossi. He wasn't a player at all. Oh, I didn't get that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just just a waste of time. And it's yeah. supposed to be, you know, scary and, and building suspense, being dark and that. But it was just a, a ludicrous. You're yeah, cheering I'll... for Michael. <laughs> it's, I, I agree with you because I agree. With, I'll hit on what you both said. Since I was 12 years old and I first saw this movie, I thought it was the most ludicrous plot point to this whole thing is to put it in a hospital where well, I counted it this time around. I saw 18 people, including the two babies, in the hospital between <laughs> the time uh, they first show it. So 18 people, most of them die because I think uh, eight people died. And it's just ridiculous. I've never been in a hospital at night, and I've been in there late hours before, where, like, like Patrick said or Chris said, all the damn lights are off. It's absolutely ridiculous. You would never have this. You wouldn't have just one doctor. You would have an ER doctor at least, and then a regular doctor probably. Who's he would around. be sober too? Yes, that was the other point. He would. You'd have to have somebody sober around to do all these procedures and. It was just so stupid. Yes, it made it a little bit creepier for the stalking purposes. But other than the two babies, Lori and I think the bell went off for one other room. You don't know that. The, and the little boy who messed his mouth up. You don't know of any other patients. You can't. I just can't buy any small Midwestern town only having five people hit the hospital on a 
Halloween night. It just doesn't make sense. I so, would think if you're a small town and there's a hospital there, there would be people from other communities that would have to go there as well. So they would be visiting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you have two babies there, you'd think that at least one of their parents might be around. But it's just me. Yeah. Uh, mom might yeah. still be in the hospital. Yeah. Mom, mom and dad leave the baby exactly. there. They go out and celebrate. So. <laughs> She might have just expressed her milk and then went home. (laughs) But, yeah, it was. The hospital is an absolutely ridiculous place to do this. I think uh, John should have sobered up a little bit, found a different location. I think somebody mentioned in something I read that they originally wanted to do this in a high-rise apartment building or something like that. But he was convinced to start up where the first movie left off. So he just said, "Okay, she's got to go to the hospital. So we'll do that. And he just kept drinking and writing. <laughs> All right. Well, what about the idea that uh, there th- there's th- Halloween three, which we've already kind of discussed, that has nothing to do with Michael Myers or really anything with this franchise at this point in time. Halloween four, where we come back, Michael Myers is back. Loomis has suddenly survived, although physically scarred uh, and emotionally. <laughs> Let's not forget the emotional scars. Uh, is that ever explained? Did it, it, did they explain it clearly why Sam Loomis returns? Well, yes, four? because Halloween three bombed. That's why. <laughs> That's the explanation. And Jamie but it's Lee- now considered, it, it, it's actually been reassessed by a lot of people, and it's got more fans now than it's ever had, Halloween it, 3. It's, it's uh, Halloween 3? Oh, God. <laughs> that would, It has, yeah. Uh, well, Season of the Witch has got like a following now. I, I love it because I love, like, we do the number two review podcast for the MHM Podcast Network, and I consider Halloween 3 to be one of those movies, and I will probably nominate that we review that movie one day for that exact it's, purpose it's actually it's a pile of shit. yeah well it's better it's better chad than both rob zombie versions of no. halloween oh i oh yeah i agree with you there but it is not good and it's especially compared to even some of the sequels to this series it's yeah. just not good at all in any way shape or form yeah, I mean the the rest of the sequels. Halloween Four is 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 decent. Uh, at least it brought, returned back to the premise of the film. Mm-hmm. Halloween Five, n- not so much. And I'm trying to remember if Halloween Five was the one that led into a cliffhanger. That, yes. Yes. And then that took a few years before they came back to Halloween Six to kind of pick up where they left off with that cliffhanger. I'm like, where are they going with this? Suddenly there's a mysterious man is breaking Michael out and releasing him on the world. Why would this person do it? What was, and it took years and a different company. I think, I think it was dimension finally took up the Halloween franchise at that point. And, and, and then you have H2O, which basically retconned out Halloween three through six and brought back Jamie Lee Curtis and Halloween resurrection, which, killed off jamie lee curtis uh then the rob zombie versions which we've already hinted at are horrible and although i will admit that the backstory for michael myers in the the first rob zombie film is pretty decent you know showing a little bit of more of his kind of evolution as a killer i kind of liked that element of it but then once it got to the main story it was like yeah this is just it's just a gore fest and then Malcolm McDowell, Malcolm McDowell as Sam Loomis was all right too. Yeah, I mean I like Malcolm McDowell, McDowell. I don't really have a problem with it. And then we've got the new Halloween coming out this year. John Carpenter's back as an executive producer. Uh, Jamie Lou Curtis is back playing uh, Laurie Strode and mysteriously resurrected from the I guess Halloween 8 film. But now, reportedly, and I saw this at the beginning when it was being in production, that this is retconning everything from two up. So this is a direct sequel to the first film and only to the first film. And I've even heard that they're getting rid of the element of uh, them being brother and sister. That is, he's just a killer. And that's all he is. What do you guys think of that? I mean, is there any sense of frustration to that? I actually didn't know until you brought that up before we started recording that it was bypassing everything in between the, the original. So that's just, that's news to me. But if you're watching the tra- – I've seen the trailer to this new Halloween a few times, and if that's true what you're saying about even the brother and sister thing, I think it gets mentioned or, or some Jamie Lee says something to that effect – in the trailer so i could be wrong but um it's all news to me and i'm happy if they want to do that and it works but 
uh, the test will be when I watch it to decide on that. I know we mentioned it off the podcast, but uh, they sort of lost me. Spoiler alert, everybody. When the, in one of the sequels, Michael Myers had his head chopped off. And then I saw that they were making a sequel to that sequel. And he comes back and I'm like, how in the hell did they do this? And turned out it wasn't Michael Myers who got his head chopped off. So I can believe these people will try anything in any of these movies just to make a buck. And trust me, they're going to get my five bucks to see this uh, upcoming sequel. I think it's stupid if they take this plot device out because they've used it in almost every sequel they made except for Season of the Witch. So stick with it. But they're just going to keep confusing people and pissing more people off who actually do love the original and love what the basis of this series was all about. It's a Blumhouse production, this new one, and they've got a really good track record. So there's hopes. I mean, let's just hope, Chad, that they do get it right, maybe. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'll watch it because I love these movies and I want to see them come out and do something constructive and positive and somehow keep the franchise going a little bit. But I don't have my hopes up. I'll put it that way. I won't go see it. I'm not giving them any more of my money. (laughs) (laughs) Halloween is great. The others suffer afterwards. So there's no point for me to see any more after it. Once again, they've I've seen all the films in the series. I would have uh, I'll see this one as well. I don't know if I'm rushing out to go see it. Uh, You know, I I like the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis is back. I I I enjoyed H2O H2O, um, although I I, uh, I although I found it pretty much garden variety like slasher film i didn't find anything special about it and i think a lot of the the magic of the first film was gone i'm curious just to see what they're going to do with it i'm curious to see where they take this character so far both characters essentially so far after the original film and what they're going to do with it now i guess this would be 40 years later so it'll be an experiment now the question is is where do you go from here if you want to keep a viable franchise i don't think jamie lee curtis is going to keep coming back and cranking these out anymore she comes back about every decade or so now this isn't a spoiler because i haven't seen it yet but she's probably doing a harrison ford and say yep i'll come back if you kill me so yeah, I but I've already, se- but they already killed her. They already killed her. Yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because that doesn't yep. exist. But even for this one, I mean, maybe you should. I don't know. I haven't seen it, so I don't want to spoil it because I do not know. But I would say Jamie Lee Curtis's character Laurie Strode may not survive this new movie. I think they're going to be like Alien Three. Just make her uh, part Mike Myers at this point. <laughs> Stop saying Mike Myers. It cracks me up. <laughs> I'll behave hey in Alien actually Sigourney Weaver latches onto the alien and then they go down burning together so that could happen you know Michael Myers might just uh, Mikey go down (laughs) life with Mikey might go down not not down on but down with Jamie Lee Curtis all right (laughs) he's gonna go down under with Jamie Lee all right uh, and that would, since Jamie Lee or uh, Laurie Strode's daughter and granddaughter are supposed to be characters in the film, at least from what I've seen and read about it, I can yeah. imagine that's who that's her driving force to protect in the film. So it's we'll we'll see how it goes. I you know it'll be interesting if they get rid of the element of that they're not brother and sister and it's just he's an obsessed killer going after the one who got away, and that's what he's been thinking about for forty years. But. I mean, he was he was a grown ass adult in 1978, so he would be he, he's got to be would be like 68, 70 at this point in time. So I'm trying to remember the the scheme of things that he it was the first one that was 15 years after he killed his family, and he did that when he was eight. So I guess he would be 23, and if this is, he should be 63. I don't know if he fits in the overalls anymore. I don't know. <laughs> Well, Jamie Lee's hair is flowing grey at the moment, so she's rocking the silver fox look. So I would say Michael would have the uh, the grey patch on his head, if any hair at all. It's probably been all soldered off. And I think the only reason H2O was made, Patrick, was you think back then, um, especially by Dimension Films, Scream 
was big and they referenced Halloween in it. So they were, you know, that probably brought interest back into the franchise where they thought maybe the franchise was dead, but that would have brought interest back in it. Yeah. Yeah. Because wasn't H2O a Kevin Williamson film as well? That's right. And the um, Miramax Dimension. The, yep. um, that was the distributor. So they're all linked and they just wanted to make more money out of the Scream reviving the horror genre because horror was dead until the original Scream came out. Not not for horror fanatics, but in general, horror wasn't uh, markable film franchises until Scream yeah. changed all that. And the new Halloween is all John Carpenter's back since the first time since the Halloween, the original Halloween too, that he's not yeah. involved in the film franchise at all in any kind of creative element. His name may be on it, but he's not involved in the story plot lines or producing or anything like that. I think he gets based off characters created by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. But John Carpenter would have been just cashing the checks. <laughs> Except for most of those films in the eighties, those checks were really small. That's all. That's all. <laughs> All right. Anything That's else? All right. You- Budweiser wasn't that much. All right. <laughs> anything else you guys want to talk about before we close up? Uh, yes. No one's mentioned the music, and I love oh. that. I mean, it's used in a little bit of a different way in this, in this than the original, but I mean, it's absolutely riveting. It's a great theme music, and I can't get enough. And the new there's a new version um, for the new movie by Trent Reznor. If you get a chance, have a listen to it if you haven't already. But yeah, I like how they continue to use the music in this. All right. Well, it's good. I'm going to uh, piss on your parade for a second. That the mm. theme music, the main theme is like synthesized uh, more on this film than the first film. And it bothered me that it just seems distorted and it doesn't seem right. It, it seemed like TV movie music and or TV series, you know, uh, music and I didn't. Really? I, I, no, I really like the theme. I agree with you on that. But the theme in the first one seems very pronounced and very much piano, and this one seemed to be a, a synthesizer. So, and it just it it just it grated on me every time I, I I heard it in this film. It just didn't seem right. I couldn't agree with you more, Patrick. You hit the nail on the head because that was my first complaint. The first time I ever saw this movie was they changed the music and. They made it sound cheap and like a, you know, like it was not even important to the original movie. So that uh, I hated it in this movie the way it was done. I didn't expect to hear that, but I I, I agree with what you're saying because they did enhance it. It does sound a little different, but the actual premise of it and everything I still really like. But John Carpenter's actually got a track record of that. He I love the theme to Escape from New York. And he actually, for Escape to L.A., did the same thing but used more synthesizer, and that seemed distorted to me. So I, um, I'm on your wavelength. I know what you're saying, but I didn't think it was that bad for this movie. Did you guys realize that that was the mask from the original movie in this film? I didn't realize it. It doesn't surprise me, but uh, you know, I saw, I remember my research looking at how that was such a big deal because the mask has started to – it got stored and didn't – yeah. Sit right and didn't fit on the uh, the new actor's head quite as well. And apparently, Deborah Hill was such a heavy smoker that she kept it underneath her bed, and the smoke from her house basically helped deteriorate the mask as well. That was the most <laughs> bizarre story I read in my research. Was I thought that was a totally different mask, and still I started researching it and hearing that weird backstory about how everybody deteriorated the mask over the years that it was just funny i just never thought it would be the same one well i just find it amazing it's like hey we're we're gonna make a sequel did everybody still got their costumes everyone everyone yeah you do good because we can't afford a new mask i mean that's gonna be 20 bucks you know well at least the mask must hopefully the mask was in like a box or something not just laying under the bed and she must have been like a two or three packet a day smoker (laughs) Or Cheech and Chong's sister or something, because how could it deteriorate? Yep, they said, uh, from what I was just re- I went back and reread this, to reread this real quick. It also said that Deborah Hill kept the mask under her bed for several years until Halloween 2, causing it to collect dust and to yellow because she was such a heavy smoker. 
Yeah. I couldn't imagine. Just just a warning to you, Shane, if you've got all those uh, officer and a gentleman uh, props left underneath your bed <laughs> and you're smoking, you're, you're risking them, you know. You get, you're going to get tarnish all over the belt buckle, and you're never going to be able to get that off. All right, tarnish anything? on the belt buckle? Is that a euphemism? <laughs> anything uh, else? I just, can't, I just can't believe there's that much cigarette smoke. And in, you open a window, for goodness <laughs> Let's go around. Uh, what do we think of Halloween 2? Does it stand the test of time? Chad. Okay. I, I will just say... It just very, very, very barely does. I, If you like the first film, I will say watch the second one. I don't think it's so horrible that it can't be watched, especially if you're a fan of the Halloween movies. But if I wasn't a fan of the Halloween movies, I would say I'd probably avoid it altogether. But I will say they do just enough to say it stands the test of time because I get some enjoyment out of it, but just barely. Chris? Well, it stands the test of time for me, but not because of our usual reasons. When I saw it originally, I thought it was pointless and um, and very um, disappointing. And when I saw it again for this podcast, I thought it was pointless and disappointing. So that's timeless. Um, I, I'm not <laughs> yeah. a fan of it. Uh, this is definitely not the Empire Strikes Back of the Halloween series. This is the Troll 2 <laughs> of the Troll mm-hmm. series. So... Uh, no, I don't like it, uh, but it will stand the test of time. Shane. And Troll Troll 2 is better than this film. I'll go on record. I've never seen Troll 2. I've seen Poltergeist 2. <laughs> troll 2 is uh, notoriously bad. I don't know. There's no trolls in Troll 2, Shane. There's no trolls in Troll 2. Isn't there? No. Is there a Troll 3? I've seen Ghoulies. No. No, there's a Troll in Troll 1, but there's no Troll mm. in Troll 2. I think Chris mentioned it once before as being rated one of the worst movies of all time, Troll 2. So it might be one I'll have to inspect. There's a documentary about how bad Troll 2 is because someone said, I have to talk about this. I have something to say about this film. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if that's the case, I don't think Halloween 2 is that bad then. Um, I didn't like it as much as I have done in the past because I always, this being the first Halloween movie I ever saw, it sort of stuck with me more. I did enjoy it as a kid. But looking over it as an adult, definitely it's more stupid. But I still like Donald Pleasant. So I just like he's overacting. I like Jamie Lee Curtis. And um, I would say it just stands the test of time. All right. Well, I have to disagree with Chris. It's not the Troll 2 of this series because the rest of the Halloween films get progressively worse as they go along. (laughs) So it can't be the worst of them all because they're still Halloween 3, which Chad wants to review. So coming next year to number two (laughs) review review for Halloween. Jim Podcast Network. (laughs) So. I loved this film when I was a kid. I really enjoyed it, uh, you know, and I saw I saw the edited version on television first and I still got the gist of the film I, and it took out the gore and the nudity, uh, made it more in line of what the original film was about. Seeing the unedited version, it's, you know, it just seemed kind of like, ah, they kind of, they just did stuff to do things and it's kind of disturbing and it bothers me. But I'll somewhat agree with Shane. As much as I've bagged on this film a lot through this last hour, I I, I think it stands the test of time. It still has a cohesive storyline. There's a lot of like right turns. You go, huh? Um, that seems unnecessary for anything. But I still like the character of Loomis. I still like the uh, character of Laurie Strode. I wish they would actually had the character of Laurie Strode in this film instead of Jamie Lee Curtis under the effects of morphine walking around a hospital. Uh, And uh, I definitely like the idea of this uh, unstoppable object of Michael Myers. I think that is an interesting idea for a killer. And I like that in the first one, but this is a, it so pales in comparison to the first Halloween movie. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So it, it just barely stands the test of time. I cannot say that for the rest of the Halloween film series, but I'm sure we'll get to those in turn over the next few years. <laughs> and if nothing else, it does introduce the link between Michael and Laurie as brother and sister, and that's pretty significant in the horror movie genre. There's yeah. a strong family resemblance, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
All right. That does it for this week's review of Halloween 2. Thanks again for joining us and listening to our little bi-weekly podcast. If you had a good time, the fun doesn't have to stop here. You can follow us on Facebook at Lunchtime Movie Review or on Twitter at Lunchtime Movie. On either Facebook or Twitter, you can keep up on our written film reviews, news on upcoming films and Blu-ray releases, and information on upcoming podcasts on the MHN Podcast Network. Again, if you've enjoyed yourselves and you download us off either iTunes or Stitcher, make sure to rate our podcast on either one of those two platforms. And if you have a chance, write a short review of the podcast. Of course, we like the reviews that are positive, but we appreciate any feedback that we can get from any listeners of the show. Well, that does it for this episode of Lunchtime Movie Review. Till next time, I'm Patrick. I'm Chad, and I'm never going to the hospital in Haddonfield, Illinois, even if I'm dying. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Chris. And I'm Shane, and uh, I don't celebrate Halloween (laughs) down under, but happy Halloween. Wow, you little pagan Australians down there with no Thanksgiving. It's it's, it's getting more popular, but (laughs) yeah, Halloween's not really an Aussie thing. Uh, All right, and we got to get out of here right now, and you guys are invited. podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only the theme music for lunchtime movie review fireworks is provided courtesy of alexander nakaranda at serpentsoundstudios.com under a creative commons attribution 4.0 license all original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the mhn podcast network lunchtime movie review and fuzzy bunny slippers entertainment llc unless otherwise noted It's not easy to dress up kangaroo for Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll drink beer and dress up. That's all right. What are you talking about? I think they call that a Tuesday there, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Come on, Chris. The reality of it is that is when you get that many people dress, dressing up as kangaroos, Yahoo Sirius, or Crocodile Dundee, it gets real repetitive real fast. (laughs) I would be Yahoo. (laughs) Everybody be walking around. That's not a knife. (laughs) Yeah, there's that accent again. Well done, Patrick.